The following is a message by Dr. Ryan Glomsrud from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you uh, this morning in prayer. We come to you now uh, at a time when you may be found and rejoice that we we have found you because because you found us, because you pursued us, because you sent your son from heaven to earth uh, to work a great salvation for us. Indeed, Father, how how blessed we are, uh, how happy we are that our sins have, have freely been forgiven. And so we ask you this morning to uh, help us to pause, to quiet our hearts and minds and and reflect for a few moments upon your your goodness and mercy to us in in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Open our eyes to to things we might learn uh, from your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me to, uh, to 2 Corinthians, to the end of chapter five. I'm going to start reading in verse 20 of chapter 5. While you're turning there, we'll read a, a large passage this morning. It's good to, to reflect and meditate on, on small phrases uh, of Scripture, but it's sometimes good to, to take in a wider scope uh, and, uh, and to hear and read together larger passages. And so, so we'll read from, from verse 20 of chapter 5 uh, all the way into chapter 8 actually, uh, right around to Paul's commendation of Titus uh, in chapter 15, or verse 15 or 16 of chapter 8. So let's hear uh, and read together the word of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making known his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacles in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through, dishonor, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We've spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. 
In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and, and, shall be son, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness and completion to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you fell to godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For Whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, there abundance of joy and their extreme uh, poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, uh, but they gave uh, themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, 
we urged Titus, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love uh, for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say that not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that, that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then follows the condemnation of Titus and, and just one more verse at the end of chapter 8 here, in verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So far the, the reading of, of God's word. I can remember as a, as a young Christian first learning about the Reformation and about Reformed theology, being very excited to to soak in the doctrinal passages of scripture, to, to meditate on, to reflect on the, the weighty themes, I think especially of the first five chapters here of 2 Corinthians, uh, eager to get into doctrine. And, and rightly so, uh, there, are, there are wonderful things in the first five chapters uh, of, of 2 Corinthians here. Think of Paul's teaching on, on the new covenant and the ministry of the new covenant, his teaching on the work of the Spirit to open the minds of, of unbelievers, to lift the veil of darkness, to, to behold the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. Uh, these are wonderful, powerful things for, for young Christians and, and for old Christians as well. Now, I won't say that I uh, stopped reading at the end of 2 Corinthians 5, but I will say uh, until engaging in the life of the church, over a longer period of time, I didn't know quite how to understand what follows after, after Ephesians 5. And that's, that's often the case. I, I'm sure you've had that experience as well, where um, life in the body uh, of the saints gives fresh meaning to same familiar passages of, of Scripture. Or, or maybe more powerfully, when, when Scripture uh, actually illuminates and explains and makes sense of experiences that you that you have in the body. And so it is possibly with these middle sections uh, of 2 Corinthians. What do we find here? Uh, what what can, can we find in, in the middle of this letter that makes sense of our, of our life in the body, in the church? And, and very briefly, I think we find uh, at least two things. Uh, we find here Paul issuing uh, two calls using maybe two modes of expression, two, maybe two tones of voice. Uh, a call to repentance uh, in the first instance, and, and then a call to demonstrate uh, the gratitude that the Corinthian believers have uh, for, for the reconciliation 
and the repentance that they've experienced. Uh, we find these two calls, and Paul moves fairly fluidly back and forth, really, between the two. Uh, and, and perhaps even more interestingly, we find uh, the connection between the two revealed, between repentance and demonstrations of gratitude. So let's consider uh, each one in turn very briefly. First, Paul's call to repentance, uh, back to the beginning of the passage that we read in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 20. Look with me here. We, we see Paul writing very plainly um, as an ambassador for Christ. Um, he's making God's appeal to the Corinthians known, and he implores the Corinthians on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the call to, to repentance, the call to be, to be reconciled. Again, in, 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 in chapter 6, at the very beginning here, in verse 1, he, he appeals to the Corinthians. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, he says. It's interesting thinking about doctrinal passages. Verse 21, this great passage, this meaty passage about the double imputation uh, that's at the heart of the gospel, uh, is, is bracketed on each side, the beginning and the end, by a call to repentance. Uh, that's, how, that's how Paul delivers uh, this doctrinal passage, with, with calls to repentance on, on each side. And then Paul goes on in, 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 uh, in verse 2 and 3 with a quotation of, of Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 55 and allusions in Psalm 32 that we just sung. Um, in the favorable time I've listened to you and in the day of salvation I have, I have helped you. The, the implication is now is the time of the Lord. Uh, he is here to be found. Seek him is the, is the call uh, that, Paul, that Paul issues here. Well, this isn't just a normal call to repentance, uh, a sort of general call that we find that's part of the, the everyday Christian life, part of uh, worshiping. Uh, with the body week in and week out. This is a very intense disciplinary situation that Paul is in the midst of. And, and we know that really throughout the letter, but if you, if you turn back briefly to, to chapter 2, verse 4, we know that the formal letters of discipline have been, have been mailed out to the Corinthian believers. Paul alludes to it in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, among other places, for I wrote to you, Paul says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Um, he has sent a, a formal call to repentance to the Corinthian believers on a number of occasions now. Um, and, and many of you, uh, as, as graduates will go on to become ministers, uh, elders, many of you will, will write such letters uh, and will identify with, with the anguish that we see here in, in verse 4. Um, Paul writes a letter of, of discipline. We see the uh, the angle of his heart, he writes with, with much affliction and, and anguish, uh, and he writes and sends this disciplinary letter uh, in love. The call to repentance is issued uh, with love and, and, and from a, a heart of love. That's uh, important to understand uh, in, in formal cases of, of church discipline. I suspect, uh, skipping back to verse uh, chapter 6, that that this collage of scripture quotations from, from verse 14 to the end of chapter 6 uh, is maybe perhaps, I haven't vetted this with the New Testament department yet. This is what happens when you invite a historian to give chapel. Uh, I suspect maybe in some way this is, 
this is a, a kind of summary uh, of the highlights of what was included uh, in that letter of discipline that went out. Um, do not be unequally yoked with, uh, with, un un uh, with unbelievers, Paul writes, which is usually a verse we think of in the context of Christian dating. Uh, and it certainly has that application, but that's perhaps not the first thing in, in Paul's mind when he says, don't be unequally uh, yoked with unbelievers. He's thinking about his opponents uh, and the disciplinary situation in, in the church in Corinth. Well, a letter has gone out. A call to repentance has been, has been issued. It's, it's an intense situation, um, more, more extreme perhaps than, than, than the, uh, the, the more normal uh, regular calls to repentance that, that we encounter. And we see in, in chapter 7 here the outcome of this. We see that actually this is a, a disciplinary situation that's beginning to be resolved uh, and, and is, is bearing fruit. And so in, in chapter 7, verse, really verse 8 through 10, Paul re again references his letter uh, and, and acknowledges that he knows the letter grieved the recipients. Um, but he, he says that uh, he rejoices even so because, because this grief turned into repentance. It bore fruit uh, in their life. For you felt a godly grief, he writes. Um, so you suffered no loss uh, through us. Godly grief produces uh, a repentance that leads to, to salvation without regret. And that is the, the point of discipline in, in, this, in this case. Uh, it's to bring about the fruit of repentance. Uh, and so we can be encouraged just briefly this morning as, we, as we've considered this passage. Uh, we can be instructed, perhaps, in, in, in how Paul pursued discipline. He pursued it in love, with a heart of love, uh, a sense of anguish in his heart, reaching out to them. But he didn't lose focus. Uh, at times there are stern warnings that he gives, and at times uh, he treats them tenderly. Um, but we can also be encouraged and edified because, as we've just read in, in verses 9 and 10 here, this called repentance uh, was used by God to, to work fruit in the lives of the Corinthians. They, uh, they do repent. Um, and so there's, uh, there's encouragement that we can have. God does use uh, formal and informal calls to repentance to bear fruit in the, in the life of his people. Um, there's a second encouraging tone more briefly, uh, that we should talk about. There's a call that Paul gives uh, for an expression uh, of gratitude, for an act of charity. Uh, we can look at verse, verses eight, uh, sorry, verse six of chapter eight, um, very briefly. And well, in this passage, uh, Paul is urging Titus to urge the Corinthians to complete this act of grace, to take a collection, uh, to make a gift. Um, it's actually the same, the same uh, urging exhorting uh, verb that Paul's used back in chapter 5, verse 20, and in chapter 6, verse 1 that we looked at. But here, Paul makes clear in the very next verse, in, in verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, I, I'm not saying this, I'm not urging you to do this as a command. I'm urging you to do this so that it will be proof uh, by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Um, he's calling for a demonstration uh, that, that there has been uh, repentance. Um, he's calling for them to recognize that forgiveness 
uh, frequently leads to and should lead to, to fellowship. Uh, grace and its fruits, repentance, uh, will lead to many forms uh, of gratitude. And so the tone here is quite different. The, it's, it's, uh, it's a gentle uh, pleading for them to, to demonstrate their, uh, their gratefulness. Well, let's hear these two calls, uh, these two tones of voice, the call to repentance and the call to, to demonstrate uh, gratefulness and gratitude uh, to God for the, the reconciliation that we have to him uh, this morning. And so, uh, as to paraphrase Paul from the next chapter in chapter 9, may, may God grant all of us, the God who is able, uh, may he make his grace abound to us so that we have all things, so that we also are able to abound in, in good works. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, great confidence in you because of and, and through the, the person and work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and because of the application of his work uh, in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Um, help us to hear your, the call to repentance uh, and, and help us to demonstrate uh, the gratefulness that we have been reconciled with you through acts of love. Uh, our sufficiency, Father, comes from you, uh, and may that uh, always be uh, now and forever. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.